0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.
1: Bearing someone's burden is the automatic result of an intellectual conclusion and heartfelt acceptance that someone has carried a burden that you could have never carried yourself. And if you don't have a passion to carry other people's burdens, there's really nothing I can do for you except to encourage you to seek Christ. Because once you have a true revelation of who He is, your heart will be changed. Today. Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff finds
1: We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
1: One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hey there, my name is Aaron and you're listening to Today with Jeff finds. This message comes from both Galatians chapter 6 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Pastor Jeff reminds us that we are called to live in community with each other and to bear each other's burdens. Let's join Pastor Jeff as he begins this message.
1: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to two passages, okay? They're intricately tied together. The first is Galatians 6, the New Testament, one of the Pauline epistles to the church at Galatia, chapter 6, Galatians, and the other, uh, just hold the other passage and go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, okay? Galatians 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Just got back from uh, our study break, our time when the elders give me to go and Just reflect on where we've been as a church, where we're going to get before God and seek uh, instruction of where he wants us to go in the future. Plan the next year of sermons of what God wants us to speak into the lives of the people in our church. We take this very seriously. So this year, rather than I usually travel and try to combine two trips, I'll go uh, to Africa or to Australia or India, somewhere where I can do both, reflect, study, and preach. This year made the big trip up to Big Bear. And we found a cabin right at the very top, and we thought, you know, this would be a great place for a time of reflection and prayer and just quietness, and I was really looking forward to everything just slowing down and being quiet. And it did work that way for a couple of days until the neighbors moved in. Some other people had chosen to rent a cabin just adjacent to ours, and they were the people from hell. They slept all day and cooked pot brownies all night, and their kitchen was adjacent to my bedroom window, so your pastor was getting high (laughs) by default, no choice of his own. Seriously, man, they were just cooking pot brownies, just left and right, and then they would start playing their music. When most people were going to sleep, they would just pipe that music, man, and it was loud. And the first couple of nights, I thought, you know, just chill out, Jeff. You know, people, they have a right to come up to Big Bear and have a good time. You know, you may not agree with everything going on there. But, but then, you know, night after night, you're losing sleep. You get cranky, don't you? You just get cranky. So the third night, it was about 1240 in the morning. And I'd had enough, so I went on and I Googled this thing called Big Bear Lakes Noise Code Compliance Hotline. There's a 1-800 number you can call. And I called it, and I complained, and I said, my neighbors are cooking pot brownies, (laughs) but worse, they're playing their loud music all night. They sleep all day. Seriously, the house would just go dark. It's like no one was there, but the two cars were parked outside, and then the music would start. And evidently, Big Bear takes this very seriously. So they sent the police, and I heard the police about one o'clock in the morning giving them a little warning. Hey, you can't do this. Everything got quiet. I thought, man, this is great. I'm going to finally get some sleep. Everything was okay until about 3 a.m. And the pop brownies and the music all started again. And it was even louder. And now I'm just mad. This is where I have a hard time being a pastor. I started thinking of what I could do. I wanted to just walk over there, knock on the door and say, dudes, Are you really that selfish that you can't turn the music down so other people can sleep? And the world we live in today, nobody else is going to do anything. It's just the way it is. So I called the hotline again. And I said, this has got to stop. And sure enough, they sent the cops again. And then it got quiet. Real quiet. So quiet that the next day, no movement. And then evening came, and I thought it was going to start up again. No movement. First day, second day, third day, totally quiet with one of the cars still parked out front, but there was no sign of life. And it's at that point my family and I began to discuss the possibilities of what may have happened. <laughs> I said, they were probably arrested. They are probably making meth in there as well. <laughs> they were probably drug dealers. And we've saved the lives of thousands of little kids. It's obvious that their car was impounded. And they're probably in jail because the police caught them. And we're probably never going to hear from them again. And day after, just quietness. And what we realized about ourselves is the worse the story got about them, the more proud we were of ourselves. (laughs) How we could come up with that. I started thinking of everything and how it is true that we're so encouraged by bad people because they make us feel better about ourselves. Down deep inside, we fear what we're capable of. So we automatically assume that other people are capable of far worse things than we are. And somehow that energizes us. And this becomes a huge problem because the Bible says that we are the ecclesia, the church. We've been called out. To live in a new community. And so this is my feeble attempt. I mean, how can you mess up stick people? But the arts guys were laughing at me backstage. But I wanted to draw this on my own. And you'll notice that this is the people. These are people, but only five have smiles on their faces. And they're the ones called in community. And the Bible says that we're called out of the world into a community of mercy. And that we're supposed to live together in this community. That it's the way God has designed it from the beginning. But the problem is we know each other too well because we know ourselves too well. And we know that when we get good dirt on somebody, we're not gonna keep it quiet. We're gonna tell as many people as we can so we can feel better about the lack of dirt or the cleanliness dirt in our own lives. And this is a problem, and so. I think somebody's written a proverb, I don't know who to give credit to, but something goes like this, better for others to assume I have issues than for me to allow them to get to know me and remove all doubt. So God calls us into community, but we don't trust each other because we don't trust ourselves. And God calls us into it anyway. Now we're in this series called Gospel in Life, and we've said the gospel is not segmentable. You can decide which part of the gospel you'll apply to your life and which part you want. You're either all in or not in at all. And a major imperative of the New Testament. What I mean by imperative, command. You don't get to choose. It's not optional. An imperative that Jesus gives the church is that you would come out of this and live in community with each other. The problem is, we know each other too well because we know ourselves. Let me read the passage to you. This is This is almost word for word out of Exodus as it comes to the New Testament and God communicating what kind of people we're to be. He says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are chosen. That means unmerited favor. God saved us first, not because we were good. He saved us because he loved us and now he instructs us. So we are chosen, a royal priesthood. We are all pastors, whether we know it or not. We are the ambassadors of God. We were not elected by the people. We're called of God. As though God is making his appeal to others through us. We are a holy nation. We're supposed to be people of distinction. There's supposed to be a difference in your life and everybody's life up here. You may not be perfect, but as you live in this community, a transformational work is supposed to happen in you so that you're different 20 years from now than when you were when you first came to Christ. And we are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Before you were just, I don't know, in the masses, but now you're a community, the people of God, the possession of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You're in this not because you're good, but because of God's mercy to call you out of the world into a new community. In fact, folks, This is how it was meant to be again from the very beginning. God creates this beautiful, wondrous place and puts two people in the garden and he only gives them three commands. Just three. What are they? Number one, be fruitful and multiply. That is the easiest command ever to obey by man. (laughs) Adam took one look at Eve and he said, thank you God, truly your commands are righteous and just. Be fruitful and multiply. Number two, don't eat of the tree in the center of the garden. God says every day you're going to have to make a choice whether to serve and worship the creator or serve and worship created things. And for those of you who say God shouldn't have put the tree in the middle of the garden, that's like saying to your wife, honey, if you didn't want me to cheat on you, you shouldn't have invited your good looking friends over for coffee. There's always a choice to make where genuine authentic love exists. And the third command was simple. Relate. Just be together. Be with me. Be with your God. And be with each other. And then God said what? It's not good for man to be alone. Isn't that amazing? We've always assumed that the reason it's not good for man to be alone is because we'd be lonely. But what if it's what if part of it is that God knew it was not good for us to be alone because left to our own devices, we wouldn't make good decisions. So we needed a helper. Boy, that makes the whole idea of husband and wife totally different now, doesn't it? Because I know my wife has been my helper. She's been my personal Holy Spirit for 30 years. She convicts me of her righteousness and goodness and justice and points out etiquette and lack of, all those things. So it's not good for us to be alone. Here's the problem. God calls us out of this into this, but we don't trust each other because we know who we ourselves are. And how does God respond to all of that? Even though innately, we all want to belong to the club. We all want to belong to something, be part of something that's special. So what does God do? He says, okay, I realize you're all wearing fig leaves. That's what they did in the garden, right? All of a sudden they knew they were naked and ashamed and they didn't want the other to see who they really were. So they walked over, picked some fig leaves, probably sewed them into some kind of Italian design and started to cover up who they really were. No more real community. Throw God out. if You can't relate to God. Well, you can't relate to each other. God says, okay, I get that, but I want you to come down into community. Bring your fig leaves if you want to. Hide yourself if you want to, but I got to get you in there. And here's why. Three things happen in community according to the Bible, especially in this Galatians 6 passage. So let's land there. What are the three things? Number one, community is where we bear each other's burdens. Can you say that with me? We bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. About 25 years ago, I met this man that you're going to see on the screen, Jim Davis. He was a friend of my wife's Robin She grew up in the Copper Belt of Zambia in Central Africa. And when we first met, she introduced me to some of her friends. One was Jim Davis. First time I met him, have you ever met anybody that as soon as you met them, they just rubbed you the wrong way? Just Something just wasn't good. Have you ever met somebody that rubbed everybody the wrong way? This was that guy. Totally narcissistic. The whole world's about him. And I just thought, wow, why would my wife-to-be be a friend with this guy? And then I realized he was kind of a project of hers. Over time, this guy, Jim, met a beautiful young woman named Cindy. And when I talk about her beauty, I'm not talking about externally. inside, she was a person of great beauty. Opposites attract. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> Talented, sweet, artistic. She was the glue that held the family together. They went on to have three kids together. One was Autistic. And Jim would have never been able to handle that by himself. But with his wife, they began to grow this just adorable family. I saw this marriage change him completely from somebody who was self-serving to someone who was totally selfless. And he started to invest in people around him. She totally changed him. A woman can do that in a good way and a bad way. Which one do you have? Another sermon. About a year and a half ago, Cindy was diagnosed uh, with cancer, ovarian cancer, very aggressive. And I saw Jim, we saw Jim go with his wife on this journey. And with every day she moved closer to death, he moved closer to, what am I going to possibly do without her? She died last week. And Jim went to the funeral. Now, this is the love of his life, the woman who's changed everything. And after the funeral, they all went out, the family to dinner, but he couldn't. He went back to his hotel room, just sat there. What do you do? Where do you go? The thought of going back to the house with all the pictures that she had painted, with all the family portraits, and the thought of his two kids going back to Oregon where they live, and then him going home alone with his autistic son, just started to overwhelm him. People began to ask the question, will he make it? And here's your answer. Yes. I've been in ministry too long to know. He will make it. And the reason he will make it is because the last 20 years of his life, he has spent investing in people in community. And the time has now come that they see his need, and all of those people he's invested in now have come back around, and they're, they're embracing and walking him through. It is a beautiful picture of New Testament community. My son Delaney, when he was eight years old, wanted to help dad mow the lawn. Isn't it amazing how when they're eight, they're keen. When they're 13, they don't want nothing to do with it. (laughs) So he wants to learn to use the mower and he's mowing the lawn and then he's got this big wheelbarrow and he just thinks he's, you know, he's like Workman Joe. He's out there, his life has changed, but he can't push the wheelbarrow filled with all the grass up the steep hill of our yard in New Zealand. And I'm at the top watching this waiting for him to ask, never ask going to try to push it himself. And then finally, dad, are you going to stand there or what? <laughs> and I walk down to the bottom of the hill and I start to help him push this wheelbarrow. And for some reason, that gave me an illustration for the rest of my life. God uses those events. Because how do we help somebody who's trying to carry a load that's too heavy for them? You've got to come close to them. You can't do it from a distance. You've got to literally stand almost on top of them. And you've got to put your own strength under the burden so as to distribute the weight evenly. And that means some of the pain they have will come to you. Some of the burden they're bearing will come over to your life. You can't save a drowning person from the shore. But if you try to save a drowning person, there's a chance they may take you down with them. And the Bible says that we bear each other's burdens in this community to fulfill the law of Christ. Did you see the second part? What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is that Jesus did not simply share your burden. He took it completely away from you. You didn't share the cross with Jesus. He completely bore it on your behalf. And I've learned through 30 years of ministry that it takes a gospel-changed heart to give help unselfishly to others. You can't coerce this. I used to think that you could guilt people into helping somebody. You can't. It's only when you've had a genuine Jesus revelation of the burden that he carried for you, that you will start to carry other people's burdens and will commit to be in a community where you can exhibit the love, compassion of Christ. Bearing someone's burden is the automatic result of an intellectual conclusion and heartfelt acceptance that someone has carried a burden that you could have never carried yourself. And if you don't have a passion to carry other people's burdens, there's really nothing I can do for you except to encourage you to seek Christ. Because once you have a true revelation of who he is, your heart will be changed. Now, there's something else about this. Listen carefully. Sooner or later in your life, you are going to discover whether or not you've invested in deep community or have been part of the shallow community for all of your life. You're going to learn because into everyone's life, tragedy will eventually come. And at that moment, you're going to discover something. Has your community been deep or shallow? I often talk about my friend, Anthony McMahon, who's one of our elders here. He's the guy that got me into the Dodger game, still gets me into Dodger games. And we had a very special time together. We got to go down to Dodger Stadium in a weekday when the Dodgers were out of town. They gave us our own locker. We had to change out of our clothes into Dodger uniform. And then we got to go out onto the field and play baseball. We played a game. I played third base. I was lousy, but I was right there where Justin Turner plays. And just before Anthony was about to walk up the stairs and go out onto the field, he turned around and he said, you coming, man? It's like, I don't want to do this by myself. Let's go. He's been facing this bout with cancer, on again, off again. You have it, you don't. You have it, you don't. It's back. And I was wondering for a while if he was living in denial because this whole thing didn't seem to bother him very much. And finally, it dawned on me why? Why? Because he's steeped in a deep, deep community of people who pray for him. There's a constant thread. Anthony, we're here for you. We're going to walk you through this. And then this past week, he goes into the doctor, and the doctor says, I don't know what's going on here, but you have no cancer. I guess the machines aren't always right. But we knew what had happened, and he knew what had happened. Sooner or later, you're going to discover when it hits you, whether it's the C word or some major trauma, I don't know what it'll be. But at that point, you're going to know if you've been invested in deep community where you've been a dispenser of grace and mercy and investing in the individualistic small groups or whether you've been living the general group, the general community. And if you've been generally involved in people's lives then when you need something, they're going to be generally involved in yours. That means they'll say, brother, I'll pray for you. Here, have a, di- have a dish. Here's some food. But they won't be involved close up. It'll be from a distance. Do you know the Bible tells you this? It's the cause and effect of the universe. In Luke chapter 6, we're told in verse 38, given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Jesus is saying, hey, this is a rocket science. This is the way the world works. If you give mercy and grace when you don't need it in a season of your life to somebody who does, guess what? When traumatic events hit your life, you're going to have a group, a community come around you and walk you through whatever you need to be walked through, and you'll make it, and you'll survive. You might even thrive, but you choose. You will never walk seriously with Jesus until you take seriously his invitation to give, sacrifice, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and invite the stranger in. You can't walk with God if you're not walking with people. Can I ask you a simple question before I move on? Whose burden are you bearing right now? Whose burden are you carrying? Whose load are you lightening? You know you have a chance. And I'm telling you that when you've had a Jesus revelation of the load he's carried for you, there's something that is stirred within you. And do you realize this is what truly changes the world? I love the story of Elias Santana, one of my favorite stories, he's from the Dominican Republic, went to medical school in the United States through Campus Crusade, became a Christ follower, and knew that if he was a genuine Christ follower, the only thing he could do is go back to the Dominican Republic to serve the people, to serve his family, to serve those who are in great need. So he got this great idea. He graduated with honors, had a medical degree, so once a week, sorry, a month, he would take the flight... Over to Puerto Rico, work for one week out of the month, make all the money he could in the medical profession, and then come back to the Dominican Republic and stand on the back of a pickup truck and dispense clothing and food and medical supplies and treat people who had medical conditions. Three weeks out of every month. One week in Costa Rica or Puerto Rico, three weeks in the Dominican Republic. Standing on the back of a truck. Now, there's a guy named Julio who was witnessing all this, he was the leader of the Marxist movement in the Dominican Republic. And he saw all of this. And one day while Elias Santana was on the back of the truck, somebody shouted to Julio, Julio, Elias is winning people to Jesus Christ. Your movement's in big trouble if you let this guy continue. To which Julio responded, what can I do? Elias Santana has earned the right to be heard. (laughs) Man, Christ knows that by calling us through mercy and grace into this community, that there would be change happen in us, that we'd bear each other's burdens. And when we bear each other's burdens, we would have this catalytic thing happen in us when we would want to go bear the burdens of the world.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: Oh, now it gets personal. The second thing is we bear each other's sins. Look at the passage again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the reason God calls us into community is to hold each
0: other accountable. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fiennes wherever you listen to podcasts.